This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. So uh, this is Yaron Brook. I'm filling in uh, for, for Mike, uh, for Polka over the next, uh, I guess, yesterday and today and, and one more day to go tomorrow. And then uh, Pelka will be back on Friday. Uh, so um, he told me you guys would all treat me well. So, so far, so good. We had some weird callers yesterday, but um, everything else went went great. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if you guys watched uh, Donald Trump last night. I hope you didn't. I hope you're not watching Donald Trump every night on television. I mean, it's 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 depressing. You should all get a life. I mean, um, I guess us in uh, us in the uh, talk show business uh, and in the uh, commentary business need to watch this stuff. But really, for 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 you guys, just just put on a good TV show, listen to some music, do something else. It's just too depressing uh, to to do politics and uh, and uh, Trump. 24 7 uh, as it is we have too, way too much news way too much co- commentary although you should always listen to me there i was um you know arguing against uh, against what i do for a living but you know uh i have to admit trump is the gift that keeps on giving uh for uh, talk show hosts for commentators for anybody in this business i mean it's it doesn't stop. Every day there's something. Every day there's something to comment on. I mean, he put on quite a show last night in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, in front of you know thousands of his supporters. So he he really knows how to play it up. A very different President Trump than uh, the previous night. The night we spoke to um, to the military about Afghanistan. Uh, there he was clearly reading from a teleprompter. It was all prepared statements, very calm, cool. Uh, not very emotional. Yesterday, he was just playing the crowd. And, and you can tell he, he that's what he jo- enjoys. He, he loves that. And I think I think ultimately, that's why he ran for president. He, he loves standing in front of a crowd and just playing it. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, he's good at it. He's he's an entertainer. There is no question. Not very presidential, but he is an entertainer. And uh, um, it did it very well, uh, very well last night. Got the got the crowd riled up, um, chanting, supportive of him. Uh, repeated all the, you know, it sounded like a campaign rally, like like many of these kind of rallies where he returns to campaign mode. But I wanted to focus on on one part of of um, of what Trump had to say last night, where he really went after the media, and and basically what he did was he. He brought with him uh, in writing everything that he had said about Charlottesville and then uh, kind of showed how the media only reported parts of it and distorted what he said and uh, was being completely non-objective about his response to uh, Charlottesville. And, and you know, he had this line, again, very entertaining, very effective with that audience. That, you know, the media continuously complain about how late he was, as if that was what it was important rather than what he actually said. And he's right. And he's right. The media, the media, um, the media was unbelievably uh, distortive of what uh, Trump said and only focused on certain things, didn't focus on other things. Um, it it uh, gave uh, Antifa and it gave, uh, you know, the, some of the violent protesters on the left a free pass. 
there was no real condemnation of the whole event. And, you know, we can talk about that when we talk about free speech. Uh, there was really the media was was terrible when it came to this. There, there, there was no uh, they, they completely treated this uh, in, in a one sided, distorted, perverted kind of way. And um, so Trump was was right. I mean, there he was uh, uh, talking about that. And uh, to some extent, you know, everything he said was reflective of the media. And we'll talk more about the media because I, because they, they, Trump is onto something, right? He really is onto something. The media, the leftist bias in the media is offensive. And it's there. And it, it, there's no question it's there. You, you just have to look at a New York Times or Washington Post or, or any newspaper, even the Wall Street Journal, any given day. And the slant of the news is so outrageous that it, you know, it, it's for somebody like me who consumes huge quantity of news and, and has to talk about the news and has to talk about, you know, what's going on in the world. It's really, really difficult to figure out well, what is right and what is not. What is true and what is bogus? Uh, you know, they misquote people. So you have to actually go find the quote. You have to watch the video to even know what people say. You can't even trust the media to do that. And this is on all sides. The so-called mainstream media, which who are supposed to be professional and who are generally more professional than what I would call the fringe media, um, you know, so unprofessional. It's under, you know, an example that just came up because I did a show a couple of weeks ago uh, on uh, the Google memo. I, I don't know if you remember this, but this guy wrote this memo uh, at Google about diversity and about why there weren't as many women in at Google. And he wrote a 10-page memo about this. And I disagree with much of what was in the memo. I thought it was badly constructed and badly written and some of these claims are just are just I think pseudoscience and false but it, it was a very reasonably written memo it was the it was a very reasonable tone he didn't come out he didn't he, he wasn't outrageous he didn't come out against women he 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 emphasized that you should judge people as individuals, not as groups. And he, and he, you know, he, he came up for diversity explicitly. He just thought that the way GoGo was going about it was all wrong and there were ways in which to do it right. Again, a lot of that I disagree with, but it was a 10 page memo that was somewhat silly, but not crazy, not nutty, not offensive. And yet the headlines in the newspapers were unbelievable. Here's just one, but there were there were worst ones. This is one that I picked up this morning. But Google employees' anti-diversity manifesto on women's neuroticism goes viral. Yes, he did mention women being more neurotic than men. And again, you could argue with that fact or not. He didn't play it up particularly. The manifesto was not on women's neuroticism. And it wasn't an anti-diversity memo. But that's the headline. And, and that's one of the better headlines. And it's not just the headline. If you actually read the story, the story is filled with just blatant misrepresentations. Now, I actually read all 10 pages of the memo. But when I read these articles and I looked at the headline, it became obvious to me that either these journalists didn't read the memo, which I think is the most likely. I think they just scanned it 
and, and just read other people, other journalists' comments on the memo, or they're just lying, which I think in some cases is probably true. But, but I, 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 I still far more lean towards the they are just incompetent. So, you know, Donald Trump is on to something. Uh, you know, I, I listen to a lot of you who listen to me frequently know I listen to NPR a lot. And uh, I like NPR. It, I find it interesting. And uh, I find it particularly intellectual. I find that they cover stories nobody else covers. But man, are they biased. It's unbelievable to me how biased they are. You know, now I'm an economist or a finance guy, really. So I know something about finance and I know something about economics. And, 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 and so it jumps out of me in those areas because I actually know those fields pretty well. And their coverage of those areas is so bogus. It's so nonsensical. And, you know, they have a panel on economics. And they have a radical Keynesian and a moderate Keynesian. And they present it as if that is the entire spectrum of possibilities when it comes to economic analysis. You can either be a somewhat Keynesian or a dedicated Keynesian and put aside what Keynesian is. I mean, pro-government intervention, pro the idea of government stimulus, the government really creates jobs, stuff like that, right? That's the spectrum. When there are many outside of that spectrum, both way to the left and I won't say way to the right, way to the free market side and way to the more status side. But it's not just that they say, okay, we're Keynesian and we're just going to present Keynesian views. They actually think they're giving you a diversity because these people might disagree about whether the stimulus package should be $250 billion or $1 trillion. And nobody on there is representing the idea that there shouldn't be a, 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 a stimulus package at all. And nobody on there is representing kind of the socialist viewers. We shouldn't stimulate. We should just nationalize. But they present it as if we're being fair. This is the spectrum. This is everything that you have. So when I listen to NPR, I have to constantly filter. Okay, this is bias. This is bias. So when I hear stuff on a topic I don't know, so that I don't know the specific ways in which they are biasing the coverage, I have to constantly work at reminding myself not to really believe anything they say, to, to, to create mental markers for what they say that might be interesting, and then when I get home to check it out and to do some more research. And even that research is hard because all the other news sources are biased as well. All right. So, so uh, you know, Trump is right. Now, the joke about Trump is that while he slams the, the leftist media, and I think justifiably, he then goes ahead and praises Fox. Now, when I come back, we're going to talk about Fox's bias. And we're also going to talk about all the things that Trump distorted and misrepresented yesterday. Talk about false news, how he was reading from his quotes selectively, and how he was misrepresenting himself. Pretty stunning. Creating false news about himself. All in the name of the truth. All right, you're listening to Yaron to Yaron Brook filling in for Mike Apelka, and uh, we are on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be back 
And we'll talk to Julie when we get back right after this break. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, we are talking today about fake news, media bias, Donald Trump's defending himself yesterday at the demonstration in Arizona and, and endorsing, endorsing the President of the United States, endorsing one particular media outlet, Fox News. I think that generally is, uh, is scary, but... There we are. Uh, President Trump, President Trump did it. You know, he, he, he endorsed one channel. All right. If you want in on this conversation, if you have a, uh, an opinion about the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the, the Fox News, uh, CNN, um, call in 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. If you want to talk about media, truth, speech, any of those topics, uh, you know, uh, call in. Or if you want to talk about something else, call in. Just don't call in just for the sake of harassing me. All right. Um, so the media, most of the media, most of what is considered the mainstream media is no question uh, solidly on kind of the left side of the political non-spectrum, right? Because it is, uh, it is uh, for a bigger state. It is uh, generally uh, buying into much of kind of the leftist agenda, as as reflected in the in uh, at our universities. Uh, they, they love government action. Uh, they hate capitalism. They um, and and they clearly hate Donald Trump. And uh, now, granted, it's easy to hate Donald Trump, but but they they, they distort everything in terms of how they presented. And, and really, I can't defend, I mean, I wish I could defend the New York Times or the Washington Post or any of these guys. Now, I think they are still marginally better than the non-mainstream media. Now, that's really a scary thought. I think that the mainstream media is still marginally better than the non-mainstream media. On, on, in, in, if you look at the headlines in Salon.com, they're far worse in terms of their bias, in terms of their absurdity, in terms of their lack of any kind of affiliation with truth than the New York Times. So, you know, at the margin, they're slightly better. So I'm much more likely to read the New York Times, the Washington Post. I can still get something out of reading the New York Times, Washington Post, whereas most of the media um, on the Internet, is completely, you know, absurd and, and, and nutty and crazy and meaningless. Now, you know, that's kind of the media on, on the left, if you will, kind of the conventional Democratic-aligned, Democratic Party-aligned part of the media. What, what about the right? Well, Fox is ridiculous. Fox is so pro-Trump. It's, it's not even funny anymore. Right. They have been since before the election. There's no objectivity at Fox anymore. There's no seeking the truth at Fox anymore. There is the party line. It's almost become like the party platform, Russia Today. That's, you know, the, 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 
the uh, outlet for Putin's propaganda. Well, that's Fox now. I mean, which is disturbing, particularly given that basically Trump said that last night. Fox are good guys. Why are Fox good guys? Because they support me. Because they, you know, when I say stuff, they they don't criticize. They don't question. They are selective in what they report about what I say. He didn't say this, of course. <clears throat> in a light that shows me as part of positive. Now, I don't think Fox has ever been particularly objective. But it's gotten worse. And this election, this election, if nothing else, this election brought out the worst in the media. The worst, the very worst. Across the spectrum, there was a disregard for truth, for objectivity, for facts, for reality. And uh, on Fox's side, an adoration, just an adoration for Donald Trump. Whether it was O'Reilly or whether it's, I mean, Hannity is basically Trump's right-hand man. There is no separation anymore. Now, there have probably been people like that in the media always. And by the way, the same is true of how the left media treated Obama. Obama could do no wrong as far as the mainstream media. I mean, there was some real bad stuff, objectively bad stuff. Put aside partisanship. Put aside your particular philosophical point of view on things. Really objectively bad stuff that happened under Obama. His foreign policy was a disaster. You remember his resetting relations with Russia? Well, Russian relationships got worse. Did the media ever report that? No. Uh, you remember the bombing of Libya, which turned out to be a complete and utter disaster in terms of what it left over, in terms of what we got at the end? Now, put aside that he said we'll lead from behind and all that. That you know, okay. So the media, the, the media is supportive of, of uh, America taking a diminished role, but they they embraced this bombing of Libya, and then when it didn't turn out, did they turn against it? No, they, they, they didn't criticize him at all. New York Times, Washington Post. Uh, do you remember the? Um, do you remember the what I consider maybe the worst thing? that happened under uh, under Obama, which, you know, very few people even talked about, very few pe people even discussed, never mind, you know, criticized. You know, I think the worst thing under Obama was the IRS scandal, you know, where the IRS was not giving, uh, you know, nonprofit status to organizations that they didn't like politically. I mean, wow. That is real censorship. That is the government getting into the realm of ideas and telling people how they should think, or penalizing people because of the way they think. Media didn't think it was a big deal. It, it I mean, nobody did, it turns out. A few hearings in Congress, and it's all disappeared. A few people in the fringe talked about it, but nobody took it seriously. So... The, 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 much of the mainstream media whitewashed President Obama's uh, presidency. Uh, remember his response to the cop killings? Almost, not quite as bad as Trump's response to Charlottesville, but almost as bad. Never criticized Black Lives Matter. 
at least in the end, Trump criticized, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the KKK and the, uh, and the Nazis. But Obama never criticized Black Lives Matter, never saw the relationship, which and it clearly was, between Black Lives Matter uh, and, and, and what they were saying and how they were saying it and how they were acting and the, the killing of cops. Nothing from Obama, and the media stayed silent completely. No criticism of Obama. So the, the media is political. It's biased. It's unprofessional. It doesn't really read. It, it misquotes on so many levels. The media we have today, you know, just as a disaster. Now, I haven't even gotten to the fringe media to the, uh, which is particularly on the right, to the so-called alt media. Uh, and we'll do that. We'll talk about that after this break. You're listening to Yaron Brook on the Opelka, Michael Pelka show. And we'll be back after this break. Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, this is Yaron Brook filling in for uh, Mike. And um, we talked about the mainstream media, and we talked about how biased they were and how not just biased but, but distortive and, and they don't read. Like in the Google memo, it, 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 you give, got the impression they don't even read. So they're not as professional as one would expect them to be. These are people who have journalist degrees. We'll talk about the fact that to some extent at least journalism degrees or, or degrees or education generally – is a disadvantage, not necessarily an advantage, at least as uh, as uh, taught in many universities today. Maybe not all, but but in many. Generally, the problems we have today all emanate out of our universities, and we'll get we'll get to that in a little while. But but what about kind of the the the, the more the alt news? What about the alt news? Is 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 it better? Is is there an alternative to the uh, mainstream media? I mean, suddenly. I like to look at a wide variety of media sources to get a sense of, of a story. I try to look at, at, at original sources, try to look for quotes when, when talking about or actually read stuff like reading the memo. But, um, but what about, what about uh, you know, Breitbart and, and, and stuff like that, or even, even worse, uh, what about Alex Jones? I mean, Alex Jones is complete fantasy, and people take him seriously. It's complete and utter garbage fantasy made up stuff which has no relevance to the actual real world no relevance to facts no relevance to actually what's going on and yet he has millions of viewers millions of people watch his stuff now i don't know maybe they're watching it for entertainment but i doubt it they watch it as if it's news they buy into the conspiracy theories we'll talk about conspiracy theories after the next break they buy into the whole agenda and they pretend they're getting news when it's just fantasy. This is true on, on the equivalent on the left. You, you got all this stuff out there, and the Internet has made this possible. Anybody can open up a news channel. Anybody can present what he does as so-called news. Now, of course, Alex Jones hosted Donald Trump on his show. Alex Jones is part of the so-called right corrective to the media. But what about Breitbart? Breitbart is, is considered respectable. This is where Bannon was, right? I mean, this is, I, I mean, 
this is nuts. I just opened up Breitbart just to see what we get. Well, first story, big story right at the top is an attack on Jared Kushner. Kushner, now, clearly there's a personal thing going on here between Bannon and Kushner. Also philosophical, because Bannon's this economic nationalist and Kushner might not be. So there's an attack on him related to something about Egypt that nobody really cares about, but but everybody's reading it because they're just eating up stuff. Then there's, there's uh, if you scroll down, you find Paul Ryan endorses Antifa. Really? I mean, I know they don't like Paul Ryan. I'm critical of Paul Ryan, but Paul Ryan has not endorsed Antifa. That just didn't happen. And if he said something that might suggest that, that he made a mistake, but Paul Ryan is not a supporter of Antifa. So, but that's a headline. This is a news agency, supposedly, giving you facts, being objective. No concept of what those terms mean. Of course, they don't pretend, I guess. This is Bannon. This is Bannon pushing his political, ideological agenda. If you buy into that agenda, you're eating up Breitbart. If you don't buy into that agenda, then we may be looking skeptically at this. But news, it isn't. Reporting, it isn't. You can't read a headline or story here, right? And and know whether you're reading anything true or not. It's it's some of it's fantasy, some of it's true, some of it's somewhat true, but you know, spun in a negative way. Just like the left, but in many ways worse, without the even the pretense of professionalism. You know, you know, what do you do? What do you do? I mean, where do you find actual news? You got to, you got to. I don't know what is it, Daily, Daily Wire, a Ben Shapiro's thing, and and again, it's 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 headlines. It's it's trying to it's sound bites. It's trying to it's seven things of this and seven things of that, as if you can boil down everything in life to lists. Where is actually objective reporting about what actually happens in the news on on a regular basis? And, and the closest you get to actual reporting is actually in the mainstream media. It's actually in the New York Times and the, and the Washington Post. But then you can't, then you have to have so many filters on to figure out what's real and what's not because they're presenting it so reasonably. But yet they lie or, or they distort or they don't read their sources or whatever. There's no respect today for truth. There's no respect today for fact. There's no respect today for objectivity. Why? Why? Why is it this bad? And of course, the president was that, you know, that was his shtick. That was his shtick um, yesterday. You know, he was presenting what he said, but he left out huge amounts of what he said. He selectively quoted himself. I mean, all in the name of now I'm going to tell you the truth because the media distorts he then went on to distort what happened on Saturday and then on Monday and then on Tuesday. In his own statements, he chose the sentences to reach us and neglected the ones that weren't convenient for him. He did exactly what he accuses others of doing. He presented false news. All right. All right. If you want in on this conversation, call 888-900-3393. When we come back, I want to talk about why this is happening why Americans are tolerating this, why this is across the political spectrum. 
and, and, and across the political cultural life of America today. What are the sources of this? You're listening to, to Ron Brook on the Pelka Show. We'll be back after this break. Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, this is Yaron uh, Brook uh, filling in for Pure Pelka for uh, uh, the rest of the day today and, and tomorrow. And uh, Mike will be back on <clears throat> Friday. All right, we're talking about false news and the media bias. And, and I would actually put this even in a more broader perspective. There is a general disregard in the world we live in today for fact for reality, for science, for truth. We live in an age where left and right are consumed by conspiracy theories of all kinds, all kinds. Whether it's Alex Jones type conspiracy theories. Hey, we have a president who became politically active and politically famous as an advocate for the birth of conspiracy, a conspiracy theory that stated that Obama wasn't born in the United States. I, I mean, he was full throttle into it. He was the lead spokesman for it. We have a president who is a conspiracy theory nut, if you will. And it, the conspiracy theory is all over the place, everywhere. You know, what's happening in Venezuela is not socialism. It's some conspiracy of, of capitalists who are, who, are, who are creating this. It's American uh, imperialism that is creating hunger and starvation in Venezuela. Right? And, and uh, you know, uh, on the right, where do you stop? Where, where does it end? Right? All over the place, from 9-11 as a government conspiracy to, hunt, you know, every day you just open up, open up uh, Alex Jones. We've got a culture that's consumed with these things. We've got a culture that does not respect science. And we'll talk about one aspect of the disrespect for science when we talk about climate change. Not in the way you expect, but when you talk about climate change in the next hour, we'll have a, a, a world-class expert on, uh, on Al Gore and, and climate change uh, coming on uh, at, at the third hour of today's show. Alex Epstein will be with us uh, for that hour, and we'll talk about uh, that particular uh, you know, pseudoscience, you want to call it, or mixed science, or, or science by authority, 97% of scientists, you know, the, the, the mythology of, 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 of those kind of claims. But also, uh, you know, we live, in a, we live in a society where most Americans, or a significant number of Americans, don't believe in evolution. Really? Now, let me be clear. Evolution is settled science. Evolution is a fact, not a so-called theory that is unproven. Evolution is done like the law of gravity is done. And yet we live in a world where, you know, we, we, we consider, school boards consider whether they want to teach evolution. We are consumed by mysticism and conspiracy theories 
and falsehoods all around us. We've, we've lost all respect, left and right, for science, for truth, for fact, for reality. Right? And, and, and the climate change debate is a perfect illustration of that. And again, not in the way the leftist media presents it. Not, did you read the New York Times thing where they said, this is a classic New York Times, right? Unfortunately, it's becoming classic New York Times where they said, the fact that we could predict the eclipse is proof that, that we must trust science and science predicts catastrophic global warming. So if you believe in the eclipse, you must believe in catastrophic global warming. I mean, wow. Talk about non-thinking. Talk about a logical fallacy. Uh, <laughs> it's unbelievable. So, uh, you know, we live in a world where, you know, whether it's, it's, it's the rise of, um, of, uh, of the New Age or the people believe that angels and, and devils are running around among us and, uh, and are dangerous to us, it's, it's a complete negation of, of, the, of, of rationality and reason and reality that is consuming this culture. And it's scary. It's scary, and, and I don't think it was always like this. Now, maybe it was, but I don't think it was always like this. I think it's getting worse. I think mysticism, unreason, anti-reason is on the rise, left and right, on the rise today in America. And the false news and the media bias are basically reflections of that. And you might ask yourself, why? Why, why is this on the rise? And, and I think... I think at the end of the day, when you look at the culture-wide phenomena like this, and you ask the question, why is this happening? The answer is always going to be found in our educational institutions. When people ask me what is destroying the world or what do I fear the most or what I think is the, is the most problematic institution, I, I don't think it's the media. I don't think it's politics. I, you know, I, I, I really don't. People always say, it's a media bias. That's what's destroying America. No, it's not the media bias that's destroying America. You have to ask the question, why is the media biased? Where do they get that? Where's this idea of peddling false news? Where does that come from? Or where is the idea that, that there is no one reality, that there is no truth? Where does it come from? And it always comes from ideas. I, I said yesterday, history is shaped by ideas. The world is shaped by ideas. And where are those ideas coming from? Well, they're coming from the universities. The universities are the source of all of our ills, of all of our problems, because that is where ideas are taught, articulated, written about, propagated. Where, do they, where does the media get the ideas that it holds? From the university. They were all trained there. Where does the culture, why does the culture, you know, have a certain attitude, let's say, towards science or towards reason or towards rationality? I would argue because that's what our intellectuals, that is what our professors, that is what our universities have been teaching for decades. And if you teach something for decades, you have the most profound impact on the culture than any other activity possible. Teaching and writing, teaching and writing. If you establish yourself 
on the intellectual, philosophical high ground, you get to shape everything. Who do you think trains the teachers who teach in our schools? The universities do. Who trains the reporters who go out and report on the news or pretend to report on the news, as sometimes is the case? They're trained at the universities. Who trains our spineless, uh, unprincipled politicians? Well, they've all got university degrees. They've all been trained by intellectuals. They all read books written by our professors. And what has been the, 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 a big theme within academia over the last, you know, since the 1960s, really? Since the 1960s. Now, you could argue that the 1960s, this is capitalizing on philosophy going back to, to Plato, or if you want to be more modern, going back to Kant and Hegel and Schopenhauer and Marx and Nietzsche, that whole string of philosophers, and I will agree with you. But the 60s got to a new low, and we've been going lower from that point. During the 60s, a big swath of academia made a turn away from science, from rationality, from reason, from reality. They declared all those social constructs, all those, you know, arbitrary, all those just what those in power want them to be and therefore teach us. History's out, truth is out, reality's out, science is out, and you hear it today on the campuses. Science is just a white male tool to oppress everybody else. That's what science is, uh, in, 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 according to some faculty members at universities today. Now, the, the really nutty part of this, not a lot of people take too seriously, not a lot of academics to take too seriously. But, but the more moderate parts of it, yeah, they, they become part of what people learn, part of what people study. It becomes part of what we are all taught. It, it infiltrates all aspects of our curriculum, the politically correctness, the multiculturalism, the, the, the everybody has their own truth kind of attitude. Everybody's point of view is equally okay. Emo, the, the, the primacy of emotion all comes from this kind of ideology, from these kind of ideas in our universities taught, written about over and over and over again for now. 50 years. And what we're seeing today in the world around us is the direct result of that. All right. When we come back, we'll talk more about this. If you want in on the conversation, it's 888-900-3393. Some of you must have a view about some of these, uh, some of these uh, arguments I'm making. Agree, disagree. 888-900-3393. Please call on this topic. 888-900-3393. And, um, you're listening to your own book on uh, Pure Apelka, and we'll be back after the, this break. Here's a question. Why would you not want to get cheaper, better filters for your home or your business? Why? Why would you want to pay more for filters that aren't as good 
why would you want to have to go out and scrounge around and find those filters in the store or maybe not find them? Why would you want to have to try and remember when to change your filters? Be smart for yourself. My grandmother used to say that all the time. Be smart for yourself. Filter Buy helps me be smart for myself. What does it do? Well, I go to filterbuy.com on the internet. I can look up the filter sizes I need, and they have them all. They've got all the sizes for all the AC and heating units you want. All of it. And they will send you one or a truckload, whatever your needs are. Obviously, you buy more, you get a better deal. The filters are made in America, made in Alabama. The guys at Filter Buy know what they're doing. So go to FilterBuy.com. Set up your regular delivery. You're going to get a better deal. Buy more. You're going to get a better deal. Shop Filter Buy. You're going to get free shipping. FilterBuy.com. Breathe better. Breathe easier. Save money. FilterBuy.com. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka with Mike Opelka. All right, this is Yvonne Brook filling in for Mike, and I hope you don't take it out on him. Everything I'm saying here, uh, nothing I say should uh, uh, mean that Mike has endorsed what I'm saying. I'm sure much of what I say he would not. Uh, but here I am. All right, we're talking about false news. We're talking about media bias, and we're trying to get to the heart of it, the cause, what is really happening. I actually read a really good article about some of this. Now, it's, it's flawed. It's got major, major flaws. And the funny thing is that the article itself falls into the traps that it is trying to warn us again. So I'll, I'll be quoting some stuff from the article. It's by Kurt Anderson. I've never heard of him. But Kurt Anderson, it's called How America Lost Its Mind. Great title. Great title. Um, and he's talking about the nation's current post-truth moment is the ultimate expression of a mindset that have made America, uh, you know, anyway, some really bad stuff in the article, but overall, a lot of truth. It's in the September edition of the Atlantic Magazine. I actually like the Atlantic Magazine. Again, very biased. Uh, this article is a good example of that, but very intellectual and very interesting. And often, a lot of truth gets revealed in spite of the bias. And, and this article is perfect for that because... He, he talks about all these things happening in, in academia and the decline of reason and the decline of rationality. And then he falls into that. He, he makes irrational statements and, and he, he projects it in, in an irrational way on current events. And his leftist bias, his ignorance of economics, his ignorance of, of history uh, just is, it reflects through it, it, he's trying to fight against the phenomena he's talking about, and he falls right into it. Now, before we go on discussing this, I, I want to just ask a simple question. What is truth? Where does truth come from? How do we know when something is true? I mean, this is probably one of the most important philosophical questions uh, ever. And, and, and there are multiple variations of answers to this, most of them wrong, and, and I'll give you then what I think is the right answer. So, so there's the idea 
prevalent uh, at a universities and, and among many intellectuals that the truth is to some extent or another, whatever you want it to be, that you are the creator of your own reality. You know, again, truth is uh, truth is just a way to oppress people. So uh, truth might be racial. So it might be all dictated by the same race. We all have the same truth. Um, it might be personal. Literally, every single human being has his own truth. Um, it might be cultural. Truth in America is not the same as truth in Saudi Arabia, let's say with regard to how to treat women. Uh, truth is completely in flux and completely dependent on us, on our own consciousness. In a sense, we human beings create our own truth. Now, to some extent, this comes from or, or is a spinoff from kind of the, the, the German philosophy I talked about earlier. If, if, you know, if our minds are disconnected from reality, if what we see is not actual reality, is not actually there, if, if, if uh, there, it doesn't correspond, what we're seeing, what our senses provide us and what our consciousness provide us does not correspond to reality, then anything goes. It means our reality is making it up. And then it's a question of how does our, how our mind, our consciousness is making it up. And then it's a question of how our consciousness and our mind makes it up and whether it's made up by our, you know, particular genes that are associated with race, particular genes that are associated with gender or just the particular genes associated with us and individuals. But in any case, it's being made up. And this is the relativism, the subjectivism that is so, so prevalent in our culture today. So prevalent out there. And again, mostly on the left, but also on the right. There's a lot of this subjectivism on the right. Then there's the other perspective, which is truth just implants itself on your brain. Whether through mystical revelation, whether because you read it in a book, whether because you just saw it. It just, boom, it just hits you. And you just know it. Now, this has the same problem as, as, as the other approach to truth, because what does that even mean? And how do you, how do you persuade? How do you argue? How do you convince somebody that your truth, that you, you know, uh, uh, got from reality somehow is really true? How do you, if, if it's through revelation, how do you convince somebody that your revelation is right and their revelation is wrong? What is the means by which we debate, we convince? How do we even know? And isn't our revelation in the end just our emotion? Isn't it just, again, just our subjective preference? Doesn't this, what's called intrinsicist view of the truth, which just there, some people see it, I guess, some people don't. Some people have the revelation, some people don't. Doesn't it at the end depend on your complete subjective preference as to whether you see it or whether you don't? Doesn't this position just boil down to subjectivism and relativism? Just the same. Now, this is more common on the right because it's more common on, with religion, right? How do we know religious truths? By revelation or by reading a book. But what about people who interpret the book differently? Or what about people who don't get the revelation? How do you convince them that the truth is the truth? What mechanism do you use if it requires just being hit by it? No answer. So what we have today across the entire field is a view of truth that is completely subjective, that is completely relativistic, that is completely dependent 
on your state of mind, on your emotions at the end of the day. There is no standard for truth. Now, what is truth, really? What does objective truth mean? We will do, we will get to right after this break. You're listening to your work filling in for Mike Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka with Michael Pelka. All right, you're listening to Ron show and oh, you're on Brook on <laughs> on the Michael Pelka show, uh, and we're getting pretty philosophical here. We, we're getting pretty deep. Uh, I hope you'll stick with me and be patient. I think this is really important. I think this is at the core of all of our problems. If you want to understand the world, you have to understand that a whole conception of what true is has gone you know, is, is, is wrong, is, is being distorted and perverted. And that unless we recapture, unless we grasp what we're talking about when we talk about truth, then, you know, we're living a post-truth era, and, and that can only lead to one thing. Let me tell you right now. The only thing a post-truth era can lead to is authoritarianism. Because when you don't have the truth, when you don't have a the, when you don't have a standard by which to discuss the truth, all that's left is force. If my truth and your truth don't align, then how do we get alignment in society? By whoever has the bigger gun. If my revelation is different than your revelation, the only way to resolve the difference between us is who has the biggest gun. I mean, this is why the only way to deal with the Islamic terrorist threat is by eviscerating them is by crushing them you can't reason with them because they are committed to their revelation they are committed to their subjectivist emotionalist truth and it's not truth but you can't argue against it because it has no reference except their emotions and you can't argue with emotions and that's true of all truth achieved through revelation so what is truth what is truth? I'm going to quote Ayn Rand here. Truth, and this is from uh, actually from Atlas Shrugged, from Gold's speech. I know many of you probably skipped Gold's speech. Go back and read it. Go back and read it. Truth is the recognition of reality. Reason is man's only means of knowledge, is his only standard for truth. Reality, ability to observe reality to understand reality, to integrate reality, to use our senses, to be able to check, to examine, to think, to create concepts, to integrate into new knowledge. That is what is required to establish truth. Truth is the recognition of reality, recognition of facts. And to, a, to, to, to make this statement, one has to acknowledge the idea, the metaphysical idea, the axiomatic idea that reality exists. It exists. 
It is out there, and it is independent of your wishes, your emotions, your religion, your thoughts. It's just there. And that we have the tool, consciousness, is the tool by which we observe reality. And we observe it as it is. Not, you know, we don't observe it like a bat. A bat has a different mechanism by which to observe it. But what we observe is. So reality is what it is, and we observe it. Now, here's a more extended discussion of truth. Right? From Ayn Rand. Truth is the product of the recognition, the identification of the facts of reality. Man identifies and integrates the facts of reality by means of concepts. He retains concepts in his mind by means of definitions. He organizes concepts into propositions. And the truth or falsehood of his propositions rests not only on the relationship to the facts that he asserts, but also on the truth or falsehood of the definition of the concepts he uses to assert them, which rests on the truth or falsehood of his designations of essential characteristics. Complicated. Way over your head. I know. This is hard stuff. And this is part of what, you know, I want to say. Discovering truth. Discovering abstract truth. Truth about the physical world that's immediately accessible to you is relatively easy. You can look. Hey, this is a table. I'm standing next to a table. That's a truth. This is Yaron Brook speaking to you. That is a truth that you can immediately observe. At least you can, you can observe it, my voice, right? But political reality, political truth, scientific truth, abstract truths require rigorous knowledge, rigorous study. They require defining clearly concepts. I mean, even when I say this is a table, that requires an understanding of what a table is which we all have implicitly, in a sense, have that definition. But when we have definitions of things that are far more complicated, far more abstract, like freedom, well, how do we define freedom? We all have different definitions of it. And until we get our definitions right, until we know what we're talking about, we can't even talk about what's truth with regard to a concept like freedom. Ah, right? So truth requires both a, 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 a huge sense of integrity in terms of knowing what you know, knowing what the facts really are, and the facts are corresponding to reality. And then it requires real effort to integrate, to think. And it's hard. It takes effort. It's not simple. And the more abstract the truth is, political issues, for example, are far harder than, you know, simple truths, like this is a table. The concepts are harder. And then our, our set of knowledge that we're integrating is different. And, and, and we, we need to understand what are the relevant facts, which facts are relevant to understanding what freedom means, to understanding whether freedom is good or bad. This is hard. This is not simple. But all of that is thrown out. It's thrown out. 
when we say the truth is meaningless or we say the truth is subjective or we say as the french philosopher michel foucault said that rationality is a coercion a regime of truth that we need to abandon now i quote michel foucault because he's an important philosopher incredibly influential in academia particularly since the 60s and 70s particularly today so today in academia this idea that rationality that reason is a coercive regime of truth and add to that kind of the modern part of it a coercive regime of truth applied to all of us by oppressive white males then truth is out the window then we live in a society which has been educated since the 1960s on these kind of ideas right uh, there was a book in 66 called the social construction of reality right and uh, they basically said you know uh all sci scientific truth was dubious scientific truth was a concussion by elites i mean it used to be these crazy professors talking about elites now it's the president of the united states talking about concussions of the elites but this is the idea of the scientific truth is a concussion of elites the rules uh, i'm quoting for this article the rules of any tribal society do not just dictate customs and laws they are the masters of everyone's perceptions defining reality itself so white males growing up in a particular environment have a different reality than black females growing up in a different environment who have a different reality than transgender people it's it's even their perceptions even their senses are different are different knowledge we are taught is not real there is no truth what is real they tell us to a tibetan monk may not be real to an american businessman all right all right so truth reality is out this is what we've been taught this is what we've been taught since the 1960s and we shouldn't be surprised that the consequence is a disregard for truth a disregard for reality a disregard for fact and a complete bias hey i'm a liberal therefore i have my liberal reality you're a conservative you have a conservative reality conservatives consume conservative news which reinforces their conservative reality liberals have liberal news and reinforces i hate using the word liberal leftists have leftist news and it reinforces their leftist biases their leftist reality and it's all reality and it's all legit and now it's just how do we decide between the two who has the most votes who has the most power who has the biggest gun that's who gets to decide what facts and reality actually are and that's where we live today that's where we are today all right we are going to take another break you are listening to the iran brook or iran brook uh on the uh michael pelka show we'll be back after this you're listening to pure opelka with michael pelka on the blaze radio network
You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. It just amazes me how time just runs here, right? I mean, I, I haven't even started on this topic. And uh, we'll have to continue tomorrow because, uh, you know, we've got Alex Epstein to talk about climate change and, and Al Gore's uh, documentary movie coming up uh, at, um, at the top of the hour. And we're going to devote the last hour to, to that. These issues of truth will come up there as well. But, man, this is a big topic, trying to cover it quickly. But the, the important thing to remember. It's truth is the recognition of reality. And the only tool we have to identify reality, understand what is true, is our reason, is our rational faculty. Now, that's hard. The recognition of truth is hard, and we're going to disagree. What do we do then? We argue. We debate. We argue and debate based on the idea of facts. You might have a completely different set of facts of, of, of context, you might have a different context than mine. And you have come to a different conclusion than I have come to. How do we, how do we achieve agreement? How do we find the truth? Well, you present your fact. I present my flag. I, I present my fact. We, we resolve any contradictions. We each expand because you might have experienced things that I have not experienced, or you, you might know of things that I do not know. You might have seen things that I have not seen, or you might have thought of stuff that I have not thought of. And we share that. We debate it. We discuss it. We resolve contradictions because the one rule of logic is contradictions do not exist. And through that process, we both benefit and we both discover the truth. So the fact that the truth is out in reality doesn't mean we all get it immediately. This is not about the truth implanting itself in our brain. This is about discovering truth, which requires effort. And the more abstract the truth is, the more effort is required. And we're going to make mistakes. But the way to resolve mistakes is by going back to reality. The way to resolve mistakes is by looking at more facts and by making sure our integrations do not contradict. That we've done, we've used logic properly. And even then we can make mistakes. And even then somebody else coming to us and saying, hey, I think you made a mistake is incredibly helpful. I always say the two attitudes towards somebody who says you are wrong. If you have any kind of self-esteem, the two attitudes towards somebody who says you are wrong. They might be right, they might be wrong about me being wrong. If they're right, then the only proper response, if somebody says you're wrong and then shows me why I'm wrong, is to say, thank you. Thank you. Truth is amazing. I always want to move towards, to, to, to move towards more knowledge. So if somebody can correct a mistake I've made, thank you. That's wonderful. And if they're wrong about thinking I'm wrong, then why do I care? Then that's their problem. I might try to convince them that they're wrong, but at the end of the day, they have to, they, they have, they have a problem. You know, they hold an untruth. They hold a falsehood. So we should all in life be in whatever realm we are, in whatever realm we live, in whatever our ability is, in whatever profession we have. If we're going to do one thing in life, we should be tr truth seekers. 
We should look for the truth. There's no other way to live a good life. You can't live a good life based on falsehoods. You can't live a good life based on emotions. You can't live a good life based on revelation. A good life comes from examining reality, from gaining knowledge, from examining and integrating that knowledge and applying it consciously to living your life. We are all should be truth seekers. We should all be little scientists applying the scientific method, if you will, to our own lives, to our own experiences, to our day-to-day lives. That's what life is about, in my view. That's what life is about. Uh, if you're interested in this topic, if you want to delve deeper, I encourage you to read Ayn Rand, uh, Atlas Shrugged, but also she has a, a, a great book on, on this issue, on the issue of truth, on the issue of knowledge, called Introduction to Objectivist Epistemology. All right, um, when we come back, we're going to be talking to Alex Epstein of the Center for Industrial Progress. We're going to talk about Al Gore's new movie and about climate change more broadly. You're listening to Ron Brooks Show on Pure Opelka. Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, uh, this is Yaron Brook filling in for Mike Opelka, and I'll be here the rest of the day today uh, for another hour or so, and then um, tomorrow for three hours uh, from uh, noon until 3 p.m. East Coast time. All right, we've got a, I've got an exciting guest on now, uh, my uh, former colleague, Alex Epstein, who is the CEO of the Center for Industrial Progress, the number one defender of the energy industry in the United States, the only energy industry that really matters, uh, the fossil fuel industry. So, uh, hey, Alex, how are you doing? It's good to be here. I'm glad I got promoted to CEO. I'm actually president, so it's, but it's good to get a promotion. Well, since you don't have a CEO, then, uh, you know, why not? What the hell? Or maybe All you do right, have I'll a CEO. It. I don't even know. I hope I didn't demote anybody else. <laughs> no, we're good. So, uh, so you actually, um, so you actually went out there and um, and watched Al Gore's latest movie. I mean, we've been talking for the last hour about truth, and about what is truth and how to evaluate truth. So, in terms of this new uh, inconvenient truth part two, is there any truth in the movie? Well, I wish I had heard heard the discussion because I think that's definitely the right question to ask in advance. And it's, it's really remarkable how people don't ask in advance of a documentary, what would it mean for this to be true? What, what kinds of arguments would I expect? Because I've read a lot of the reviews, and they all say, well, I'm sure Al Gore is right on the facts, but, you know, this scene wasn't cinematography, whatever the adverb there, you know, is not perfect or something like that. But they don't ask, well, what would it mean to be true? And so I take what they mean as truth as, well, he showed me some pictures and, and videos, and the pictures and videos in some form happened. But that's not the relevant form of truth for our purposes, because our purposes in watching a movie like this are to determine what is the right policy going forward on energy, given that fossil fuel is the leading source of energy 
in the world, 85 per, which produces 85 percent of the world's energy, also emits CO2, which has some sort of impact on climate. So what truth would mean would be giving us the full context yes. with a lot of careful analysis of both what are the benefits of going forward with fossil fuels and what are the risks. And on the flip side, what are the benefits, if any, of Al Gore's policies of outlawing 80 plus percent of fossil fuel use? And then what are the risks of those? But instead, all he does is present the positives of his policies and presents no negatives. So the, the product is, is worthless. And, and even if, if you put aside even the policy issues, um, is he presenting enough evidence to even suggest that his perspective on the science is even true? Uh, no, and, and I'm glad you asked that, that question. So one, one sub, so if the big question is what's the whole picture in terms of benefits and risks, then a subset of that has to do with scientific evaluation of what happens when you put more CO2 in the atmosphere. And what you would expect from that would be to, for example, if you're claiming that there's been dramatic warming, you would show how much warming there was. And then you would also show the impact of that on human life. And all of those statistics exist, uh, so there's no reason for Gore not to cite them. They are the relevant form of truth in this context. And in the movie, he doesn't but, cite them? No, he doesn't give you any specifics on how much warming there's been. Wow. And he certainly doesn't give any specifics on how many climate-related deaths there have been. Because if you look at the actual trends, what we have is a historically mild, not particularly interesting amount of warming, despite record increases in fossil fuel use. And we have a record low number of deaths from climate, which is what really matters from a human perspective. So we've gone from from population adjusted 10 plus million deaths in the 30s, multiple years to last year, 6,114 recorded climate related deaths, which illustrate that there's no significant problem of having 0.01 percent more CO2 in the atmosphere. But there's an enormous benefit of having industrial progress to protect us from the naturally dangerous climate. Yeah, so talk a little bit more about this. I, I think this is a fascinating point about uh, deaths from weather and, uh, and what, what that means and, what, and the fact that they ignore it. What does that say about this standard of evaluation? Um, I mean, you, you make this great point about how deaths from climate have declined dramatically. Elaborate on that. This is a fascinating issue because I remember when I was working at the Ayn Rand Institute, I remember learning about this myself. And even though obviously objectivism is the most pro-human philosophy imaginable, I realized that I myself, when looking at the climate issue, was too focused on how much are we impacting climate and not what is the impact on life. Whereas if we think about it, the only thing that matters about impacting climate is impact on human beings. And we could be impacting it positively or we could be impacting it a little bit negatively, but negatively for humans and the positives would far outweigh that. And I remember uh, this learning from uh, Keith Lockett, who works at ARI, uh, of this guy, Inder Gokulani, who, who publicized the, the data, which is from this nonpartisan international agency, the International Disaster Database, this data on what has happened to deaths from climate over time. So this is storms and floods and heat and cold and all, all these things that Al Gore supposedly wants to protect us from. And there was this incredible stat that those deaths had gone down by a rate of 98 uh, percent 
uh, from the 30s, which is the, the time where they have any kind of decent data, uh, to the present. And this was really shocking, even to me. And then I realized, oh, wait, I haven't been thinking of it from a pro-human perspective. I was sort of assuming that, well, if we're impacting climate, then this area, it can't be getting better. But I didn't, I wasn't thinking of it in terms of, well, from a pro-human perspective, nature doesn't give us a safe climate that we make dangerous, gives us a dangerous climate that we need to make safe. And fossil fuel use powering industrial development and protecting us from climate, that turns out to be an enormous driver of climate safety. So it's not just that fossil fuels help us you know, get more electricity and run our refrigerators, which, which is true, they do. It's also that they help us, they help protect us from climate. So their alleged biggest problem is actually one of their biggest accomplishments. So how do they help us protect, how do they protect us from climate? How do fossil fuels make it possible for us to reduce the number of deaths from a hurricane or for, from a tornado? Well, let, let's take it by what are the most significant forms of death historically. So the most significant form of death historically is definitely drought. You know, and drought basically yeah. means you don't get the water that you expected to. Well, it's not that putting more CO2 in the atmosphere has led to, you know, nature magically giving us water when we want it. But through industry, what we can do is we can do two core things. One is we can take naturally dirty water and make it clean so we can use it to grow our crops and do all kinds of other things. And we can take naturally unavailable water from remote locations and bring it where we want it. So that means if no matter what's going on in nature, we have increasingly the ability to, in effect, negate the drought by bringing water to the place where nature, in effect, wanted there to be a drought. So you have these statistics where 99.98, you have a 99.98% decline in the relative drought in the rate of drought-related deaths. It's, it's just that staggering. So just for, for that one thing, the fossil fuel industry, by powering the machines that do all these things, by powering the development, has done this enormous service. And, of course, they've been given no credit. Yeah, no, that, that's staggering. I mean, we had a, I mean, we had a, a drought, supposedly, here in Southern California. Didn't really affect anybody's life. Yeah, you wanted your lawns a little bit less. Why? Because fossil fuels powered pumps to provide us with water from all kinds of different places, uh, including desalination, including recycling water. Technology is amazing in that way. And, and you know, I think this is probably the most important point about the whole climate change debate. People fixate on, on temperature changes. But this point about safety and about technology making it possible and technology driven by fossil fuels that's why nobody else but Alex makes, and it's it's such a crucial. It's probably the most important point in the whole debate. All right, we need to take a break. Um, Alex oh. is going to stay with us uh, for the next segment. Uh, you're listening to your own book, to your own book, filling in for uh, Michael Pelka, and we'll be back right after this break. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, now with Mike today. This is Yaron Brook filling in for Mike. I'll be here today, be here tomorrow. And uh, we've got Alex Epstein on the line. He is the president 
of the Center for Industrial Progress and probably the number one defender of um, energy from the perspective of human flourishing. And as a consequence, the number one defender of the fossil fuel uh, business. So I got a question online here. Uh, somebody asked, so, so what do you make of Al Gore? Is, is, is he basically just lying? What do I make of Al Gore? That's a good, that's a good question. Well, I think, I think it's wrong to just think of things in terms of you're telling the truth or you're, or you're lying. I think that's, that's the wrong kind of view of knowledge because usually it's not just they're misrepresenting a particular fact, though that can happen. It's that their whole framework for thinking about things is distorted. So I mentioned that what a documentary owes us is it owes us the whole picture. And I should add to that, it owes us the whole picture of what you mentioned, which is what's going to impact human flourishing. And Al Gore's framework is not to think of things in terms of human flourishing. He thinks of things in terms of minimizing human impact on the planet. And in part because he has that framework, he has this expectation, which creates enormous confirmation bias, that anything we do that impacts nature must be bad. So he looks at the universe and looks at, hey, where is the basically Gaia punishing us for our environmental sins? And, and all of his focus is there. And then he doesn't expect any unique benefits to come from changing nature in the way that we do. So it's, it's that kind of distortion. And when you have that kind of distorted framework, it takes a lot of honesty to then be, be pulled back and to look at all the counter evidence and to not have your confirmation bias. And, and let's just say Al Gore is not a person I would count on for a lot of honesty. No, I mean, I, I, I don't think he is. I think it's fair to say that the guy is dishonest. But, but, but you're right. The, the, the right way to look at this is to look at the full context and look at all the information he's leaving out, not necessarily whether he's lying about a particular fact. But you have a, uh, you've written uh, a, um, an article about, about the movie, and you talk about a lot of kind of his predictions about catastrophic sea rises, Miami's going to flood. I mean, isn't it true, though, given the context of human flourishing, that if Miami's really going to flood, we should be prepared and we should think about solutions? Um, how does he present it in the movie, and how would you address this issue of Miami flooding? Well, I mean, it's a big kind of if, and even the way you posed it, I mean, what does it mean it's going to flood? Because yep. part of how I'd think of it, and I'm sure how you'd think of it, is we look at it from a technological perspective. So we think about, okay, what are all of the different things that we could do if there was sea level rise? And there is some sea level rise. I mean, it's risen a ton since the last ice age. So if, if that's really a concern, what can we do technologically? What Gore does is he actually tries to anticipate that argument by showing some road that's flooded and they took some sort of half-assed, uh, like, quote-unquote, technology measure. And he just says, well, you know, you can't compete with Mother Nature. So then his solution is, well, let's just starve the whole world of energy. And then that'll be uh, fantastic. So he's not looking at this in a pro-technology way. He's looking at this in an anti-technology way and that his core solution is to withdraw technology and, and to use technologies that are demonstrably inferior, like solar and wind. It's very telling that he's not an advocate of nuclear and hydro, which are, are the best non-CO2 forms of energy. Yeah, and, and, and so... Tell us a little bit about, about this issue of, of uh, solar and wind. I mean, it's kind of cool, right, that we can use the sun to generate electricity. Uh, you know, I get, I get a salesman knocking on my door trying to sell me uh, solar panels. 
I think I actually did a thesis in high school. I think my senior thesis on solar energy. Back then, this is 1979, I think, any day now they were going to have the breakthrough to make it completely economical. And, and I interviewed scientists and stuff, and it was, it was cool. So what have you got against technology, Alex? These are major advancements we're making in solar energy. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a backward perspective that the solar files have because they'll say, oh, well, you, must, you like fossil fuels, so you must hate solar. Yep. Um, it's not that at all. It's the reason I'm talking about fossil fuels is because you hate them and you're trying to restrict them. So for if the government was going after Apple and I defended Apple, that wouldn't mean that I hate Samsung and that I'm, <laughs> I would be indifferent to a superior Samsung product. It means that I want Apple to have the freedom to compete. And as part of that, I'm championing the value of what they've done and what they plan to do in the future. So I'm not advocating. They're advocating for the suppression of currently superior technologies. I'm not advocating for the suppression of currently inferior technologies because as customers, we can suppress or promote things by buying them or not. So in what sense is, um, is solar and wind an inferior technology? Right now, well, the the ultimate the ultimate thing is: can it produce? Can you get reliable energy, including electricity, uh, on demand at at the lowest cost possible? And the the core problem that they have in delivering this is that the inputs, the sun and the wind, are not reliable inputs, and therefore they need some sort of reliability measure. And using batteries is just insanely expensive. So what every grid in the world does is they back it up using fossil fuels and to some extent nuclear and hydro. But then how much do you need to back it up? Well, since you can never really rely on it, you need almost 100% backup. But that means it's not backup. It's just life support. And then the, the solar and wind become dead weight. So they have all sorts of, uh, of accounting gimmicks to get around this. But ultimately, the question is, what happens to the cost of electricity on the grid when you put solar and wind on and it always goes way up because it's just a bunch of dead weight. Yeah. And, and, and the fact is that it's unbelievably even put aside, even putting aside the dead weight aspect, the technology is just not there in terms of competing with fossil fuels in terms of cost. That is, even if I, I think you told me if I'm wrong, Alex, even if solar was on all the time, even if you had 365 days of sunshine, we come pretty close in Southern California it still would be more expensive if it wasn't subsidized than fossil well, fuels. Well, that, that, that would be interesting. I mean, I think it would be much more promising and exciting that way. But, okay, 365 days. First of all, you're talking about a, a, a very distinctive place. Second of all, I've lived in Southern California a lot, and it does not have 24 hours a day worth of sunlight, which is the really relevant thing. It's, it's not just that you have sunny yes. days. It's that you have very dark Nice. And just go to the UCI. I think it's a Carl's Jr. And they've got their solar reading on the wall and just go there after, you know, 4 p.m. And it'll just say zero and it'll say powered by solar. So. Yep. Yeah, no, uh, nighttime is an inconvenience, a, a really inconvenient truth for, uh, for Al Gore, uh, for the whole uh, for the whole scam of solar energy. All right, Alex, uh, we've got about a minute and a half parting thoughts. And where can people find out more about you? the organization, what do you, what do you want them to read? Um, what do you want them to read following your appearance here? Uh, there's one quick example that I think captures my perspective. My friend in India was telling me when he grew up, 
he'd experience 120 degrees. And the environmentalist solution is let's somehow stop using energy and get him down to 119. And my solution is get him a damn air conditioner. Yep. I think that's how we climb it differently. In terms of what I'm up to, uh, industrialprogress.com is our website, and we have a newsletter. I just suggest that people join that, and you can see all the latest things. There's something coming up, which I like, called Human Flourishing Project. Uh, but we just mail out weekly. We don't spam you. And I think that all, that's the best way to see. There's obviously social media as well. But honestly, I want you on my mailing list. So industrialprogress.com. Your book, your book, quickly. Oh, the book, sorry. The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, available at Amazon and, and whatever other book Everybody should go out there, buy the mall case for fossil fuel. Follow Alex on industrialprogress.com. Sign up for the newsletter. As he said, he doesn't spam. I'm I'm subscribed. I've read the book. Uh, I encourage all of you uh, to do the same. When we come back, we'll talk more about what we discussed here with Alex. We'll integrate it with what we've talked about earlier on the show. And... Um, we will. We've got. We've got the final half an hour, and uh, we'll wrap up. You're listening to Yaron Brook filling in for Mike Apelka, and on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. All right. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that uh, conversation with Alex Epstein. Uh, and I encourage you all to go out there and uh, and get his book, uh, Mall Case for Fossil Fuels. Probably the best book you'll read on the whole climate change issue, but broader than the whole climate change issue. To give you a whole new perspective, a whole new approach to dealing with both the environmentalists' arguments, but also with with thinking about energy and fossil fuels and and uh, coal and uh, and and gasoline and natural gas, I mean, a whole new approach to looking at these things. That's that that that's a real that's real influence. That's a real uh, achievement. Where not only um, not only are you discovering new facts, but you're discovering a new way of looking at something. And I think that's the real contribution of the book. And generally of, of, of what, you know, the way Alex described it earlier is, is when you go in and watch a movie like Al Gore's about climate change, it's not just about what Al Gore's presenting. It's about what he's not presenting and about, much more importantly, about what is the fundamental question that he's asking? What is the context that he's approaching the whole issue from? And this goes back to the discussion of truth. What is framing his viewpoint, if his perspective starts out with kind of a, a basic idea that the earth is the standard, uh, the temperatures must be stable, and then everything goes from there. If that's his fundamental assumptions, then, you know, maybe a lot of what he says is kind of factually true, but all in the wrong context. What is the right context? Well, the right context should be human life. We're humans, after all. It should be our life. How does climate affect our life? What is climate doing to our lives? If that's the context, if that's the context, then the questions he's asking, the answers he's giving 
are irrelevant to the actual issue at hand. And as Alex points out, it's never been safer to be a human being from any perspective. It's certainly from a perspective of climate. We've never been more protected from weather ever. We, we can tolerate. Uh, we're, we're, we're better shielded. We have predict, the ability to predict and, and to prepare. And we have materials that protect us from tornadoes and hurricanes and, uh, and droughts that have killed millions in human history, I assume. And we have that ability to uh, to, to a overwhelming extent because of fossil fuels, because of technology, because of progress. And we should celebrate that. We should be celebrating that fact. All right, uh, we've got a call from uh, Skyla from Delaware. Hey, Skyla, how's it going? Great. Uh, go ahead. You, you need to speak up a little bit. You're kind of uh, uh, breaking up there a little bit. All right. All right. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Go ahead. Would, would, it be, would it be appropriate to call the environmentalists and the movement that they have uh, a religious kind of uh, – um, Okay, I think what you asked, and, and you're breaking up a little bit, is is it appropriate to call the environmentalists basically a new religion? And and I my I would argue yes, absolutely. I think it is a new religion. It's a religion that basically has a, a new god, and new god is is Mother Earth, and in that extent, maybe it's an ancient religion because Gaia, Mother Earth, is a phenomena of of uh, of ancient religions, and that now the standard is the well-being of the new God. Um, human beings, because, because we survive by adapting reality to us, we change our environment. That is the way in which we survive. We chop down trees to build homes. We excavate uh, the mountain in order to build better homes. We use sand to turn it into silicone to use in our computers. We are constantly, we eat animals and we, we, we industrialize the, 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 the eating of animals. The way in which we survive, the way in which we thrive, the way in which we live well is by changing our environment to fit our needs. That, for environmentalists, is original sin. So the original sin is the need of human beings to change the environment to fit their needs. And therefore, we are all, as human beings, Sinful, by definition. And then technology, because human life necessitates changing the environment, human life, at some extent, is filled with this guilt and original sin which generates, which generates guilt. And then anything we do, and, and, and it's global warming now, it was global cooling in the 70s, it was having too many babies in the, in the 60s, and, and, and again today, it's, uh, it's chemicals... We're putting out into the atmosphere in the 1960s. Silent Spring um, was the famous book. And on and on and on it goes. Everything we do as human beings has negative consequences on the environment if what you mean by environment, some kind of mystical, mythical mother nature. And this is why... The context, how you frame what you're studying, how you frame the debate, 
is so important. Because if it's true that Mother Nature exists, and if it's true that that should be the standard for human life, and that should be the standard for all human activity, then it's true that we're disrupting it. Now, I mean, the fact that we're part of nature, the fact that human beings are product of nature, uh, they somehow ignore all that, and, and, and that's not under consideration, but that's the point. R religion ignores what is inconvenient. Mysticism ignores what is inconvenient for them to actually engage with. So they, you know, they just walk away from it and they don't address it. But that's what frames everything. Now, that's what the intellectuals have. And, and like in all religions, the masses don't necessarily study and understand what it is that their high priests are actually doing. They just accept what their high priests are telling them. Our goal is one of the high priests and we go to the movie and we say, oh, yeah, we're flooding. It's warming. Things are going to get bad. Human beings were changing the environment, you know, and we're going to suffer. And we're going to suffer because, you know, hell is going to happen here on earth because we have this original sin. So I'm not saying that all environmentalists buy into the intellectual arguments and to the deep religious arguments, if you will, but they all buy into the religion in the sense that they accept the pride priesthood of Al Gore and the rest of them. This is the new secular religion, one of the new secular religions that dominate the left. Not the only one. There are a number of them, but this is a, a dominant one. Thanks, Skyler. Thanks for calling. Thanks for giving me Thank an you, opportunity doctor. to say that and to bring that up. Um, we are going to have to take a quick break here. Uh, you're listening to Yaron Brook filling in for Mike Opelka, and we'll be back after this break. We talk about the clients who support this radio station and the one that I speak glowingly of from personal experience is relief factor. Relief factor is a doctor designed mixture of 100% natural botanicals and wild harvested fish oil packaged in these little four capsule packages that I put in my computer bag every day. I throw them in the bag so that breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I remember to take one of those packets. And guess what? That combination, designed to reduce the inflammation and irritation in my joints, works like a charm. I started taking it April 7th. April 15th, eight days later, I noticed a change. I have not missed a day. And guess what? I'm doing more. I got my life back. And you can try it. It, it works for so many people. They've sold a million over a million of these quick start packs. And guess what? 80% of the people who order reorder. What does that tell you? It doesn't work for everybody, but my gosh, if 80% are reordering, what do you think is happening? Pick up the phone and call 800-500-8384. 800-500-8384 is the number. Ask them questions or go online to relieffactor.com. You can see the, the basics there. There's a video to watch. But I'm going to take a packet of Relief Factor and go out and do a little more hiking. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.
Igor Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, this is Yvonne Book, our final segment for today, filling in for Mike Opelka. And you can, you can listen to me every Sunday from, um, what is it, 11 to 1 Pacific Time, 11 to 1 Pacific Time uh, every, uh, every Sunday. So uh, please, uh, you're listening to Mike. Follow me over on Sundays. Uh, somebody on one of these chats writes, um, man wouldn't be man without the earth. Our existence depends on it so far. You know, don't we need to protect the earth? I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. The only risk to the earth, really, I mean, there is no risk to the earth. What are we going to do to the earth? Blow it up? I mean, even a, even a nuclear war wouldn't actually blow up the earth. The earth would still be here. The earth is just a pile of rock. We don't, you know... What we need to do is protect man. What we need to do is make sure that human survival is guaranteed. Human flourishing is guaranteed. And the only way to do that is by adapting technology. It's by changing our environment. It's by using the resources that exist in the earth to better our lives. Gets too hot, we buy more air conditioning. But getting too hot is not going to hurt the earth. I don't know what that means. The earth doesn't hurt. The earth doesn't have an existent. It doesn't have a consciousness that it can it can feel pain. The, the whole framework for the environmentalist discussion should be, is this good for human beings? Is this supportive of human flourishing or isn't it? That's the context. That's the way to frame the debate. And the earth is there for us to use. The earth is there for us to exploit so that we can thrive and be successful. And yeah, if we're running out of resources, we need to solve that problem. But the way to the way to solve that problem, the way to solve that problem, is allowing for a free market where, you know, scarcity gets priced or scarce things get priced, and uh, by allowing innovation, by allowing the human mind the freedom to innovate. All right, we're going to take a quick call from Abatin. Abatin, are you there? Hi, thanks Rhonda for being Zappi. really, really thanks patient. For my call. Hey. Uh, we yeah, got to be quick, you. unfortunately. So ask quickly. Sure. So for me, I mean, this this really connects back to your earlier point. And the problem is here is that everybody has their own truth, and we're so aware of it in politics. But the reason we let the environmentalists get away with this, I think, is because we we don't have practice with uh, identifying the truth in our everyday life. When we work with others, like we need to learn how to hold truth as a standard. And often in work environments, it's considered like a taboo to challenge authority. You might be considered difficult or hard to work with. And failing to apply your mind and identify the truth, it limits your own freedom because you have to defer to the emotions of others. And in the yeah. case of environmentalists, they're the ones who think the whole world is going to blow up. So we, we have to give in to them. Yeah, so and it's all based on emotion. I agree with you completely. In, in, in a sense, what you're saying is that this is a cultural phenomenon. It's not in any one sector. It doesn't apply to any one specific realm of knowledge but this is there's a cultural phenomena where people are not truth seekers and i said earlier in the show i said we should all be truth seekers in everything that we do in our relationships with other people in our relationships with our family in in uh, in our workplace and a boss who has an employee tell me hey boss you're wrong here's the right answer the boss should celebrate that and should reward that in every aspect of our life, in every place in our life, we should seek out the truth and also frame the truth correctly. Again, the truth doesn't just implant yourself on you. 
You have to have a whole context of knowledge. You have to be asking the right questions. So, for example, if the environmentalists really believe that the purpose of everything is uh, Gaia or, or, or Earth or the planet or something like that, then that colors everything that they think after that. We have to know how to challenge their deeply held assumptions. Why is the Earth important? What's your frame of reference? And it all starts, has to start, with human beings. It has to start with, with, with individual human life and the requirements of individual human life. Otherwise, we're not even talking about the same thing. And, 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 but, it, but this is why reason is so important. This is why facts are so important. This is why not going by emotions or going by other people's emotions is, is so important. But I agree. It, it, it's a completely cultural phenomena. It's everywhere. It affects the right. It affects the left. It affects the middle. It affects our workplace. It affects our scientists who now... Maybe the emotion of fear is preventing them from challenging some of the ideas behind climate change or the fact that they find some indication that, yes, the world is warming immediately causes them to jump to the conclusion that we have to eliminate fossil fuels, right? So they, they, they buy into that false leap, which is not true. So it, it affects every aspect of our life. So I, unfortunately, uh, Abitina, I have to end here, so we got we got like 30 seconds. So let me just end on this. You know, what this show is about is about seeking truth. What your life should be about is about seeking truth, seeking knowledge, and living by that truth and that knowledge in the pursuit of your own happiness. That's what we talk about on the Iran Book Show. I hope uh, you'll come back and listen tomorrow morning. Uh, from 9 to 12 Pacific time. You're listening to Yaron Brook. And uh, thanks to Mike Opelka, who let me fill in this week. And uh, talk to you tomorrow. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.